It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, November 29th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the number of people who die from opioid overdoses in Mississippi is on the rise. Why the epidemic appears to be getting worse. We're starting to see more and more of these drugs laced with fentanyl, which is the killer drug that's out there on the street right now. We've already exceeded last year's drug overdose death totals, so that creates an urgency to do something about this. Then find out how organizers are working to give nearly 2,000 homeless Mississippians a place to call home. And later, hear from a health expert on the dangers of untreated and undiagnosed diabetes. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The number of people who die from opioid overdoses in Mississippi is on the rise. That's according to the State Bureau of Narcotics. Representatives from MBN, the Department of Mental Health, Department of Public Safety, and the Board of Pharmacy have been holding town hall meetings around the state since May. They say the epidemic is getting worse. Prescription drug abuse has surged 400 percent in the past decade. Some teens say it is now easier to acquire prescription drugs than to buy beer. And according to the Mississippi Bureau of Narcotics, more than 80 percent of reported drug overdoses in the state over the past three years were opioid related. Michael Jordan is of the State Opioid Treatment Authority with the Department of Mental Health. He tells us the goal of the town hall meetings. What we're trying to do is provide information to our uh, local communities as to the impact that opioids are having on our citizens here in Mississippi. Um, Once we uh, do that, of course, we want to help to hear from our community, and then we also want to provide uh, solutions for them and things that they can do to assist us uh, in fighting this opioid crisis. What is the effect in Mississippi in terms of opioid abuse and addiction? Uh, We have seen over the last three years an increase in the number of treatment admissions for opioid use disorder here in Mississippi. It has increased over 208%. Of course, uh, in talking with other state agencies, this is a collaborative effort. We have also seen an increase in the number of overdose deaths due to opioids here in Mississippi. The title of the town hall is Death, Cost, and Destruction, the Impact of Opioids in Your Community. Talk about each one of those. Death, you said there's an increase in deaths. Is that accidental overdose or suicide or a combination? The ones that I'm referring to strictly deal with overdose deaths. 
cannot specify whether or not it would be a suicide or whether it was accidental. This is an overdose death due to opioids. What about the cost perspective? In 2014, the uh, cost to the nation, now this was not in Mississippi, but the cost of the nation was about $78.5 billion. That's billion with a B, of course. And uh, that has, uh, from last preliminary reports, looked like that that has tripled or maybe even quadrupled in number. That's mainly for treatment? That is for hospital care. That's for direct or indirect care to the individual suffering from opioid use disorder, yes. And finally, destruction is the third element of this. Destruction in terms of the person, the community, the families involved? It impacts everyone. I dare say that there are uh, very, there are very few individuals who are not directly tied to or, or knows a family member or a friend who is suffering from the disease of addiction, and it may be due to opioids. So when you're talking about the destruction of that, it can destroy families. We are seeing an increase uh, with Department of Human Services and Child Protective Services of those individuals who uh, are turning to them for other services because they've lost family, they've lost loved ones, those children are left without anyone to care for them. So the destruction is the destruction of the family or the community in itself. Is addiction a mental health issue? An addiction is a disease just like any other. It is recognized, and of course, uh, as a disease, and we need to look at it as a disease just like any other with diabetes or anything else. We have to stop talking about it in the shadows and bringing out and stand up and uh, recognize these, these, this is a disease and, and bring it, have those hard conversations. Uh, we know that those numbers are going to increase when we finally get the numbers tallied in 16 and 17. Have you learned and anything from those who have come to the town halls? We have. We've uh, learned a lot. Those in the community that share, uh, many of them share what their experience has been thus far, whether they've lost a family member, a loved one, a child, a, a father, a mother, um, because this disease does not discriminate. Um, there is no race, gender. Uh, it, it is an equal opportunity uh, destroyer. Um, so what we're learning is that it is impacting more and more in the community, uh, and the community is willing to listen. They want to know what's going on. They want to be in, uh, involved in the solutions of our problems. So we are learning something from each town hall. It's different. We learn something from each community we go into. I would imagine, too, that people come for help. Is there help for them? Yes, we do. We discuss treatment options with them. We have uh, the local community mental health center, um, and they have treatment options, uh, as well as any other private entities that want to come. Michael Jordan is the state opioid treatment authority with the Department of Mental Health. Michael, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. John Dowdy is director of the State Bureau of Narcotics. He tells MPB's Mark Rigsby, although the town halls are educational, there is a sense of urgency to take action. It's been a a really interesting cross-section of the communities that we've been able to be in. Uh, We've had people that are in recovery that are there. We have medical professionals there. We have pharmacists that are there. We've had people who have lost loved ones to this epidemic that have been there. And it has been, I think, a very effective educational tool. Uh, for the, the public who has attended. The theme that I was getting from you and the other speakers was fear and urgency. Did I hear it correctly? Yeah, there is an urgency here because we're losing Mississippians on a daily basis uh, as a result of this epidemic. So far as of Thanksgiving Day, 
uh, from January uh, of this year to Thanksgiving Day, we've had 222 Mississippians die. That's what we know of. I think the number is probably going to be in excess of 300. Last year, we were able to confirm 211. So we've already exceeded last year's drug overdose death totals. So to me, that creates an urgency to do something about this. Uh, The fear aspect of it is from the uncertainty of what people who are out there using drugs uh, should have because of the fact that we're starting to see more and more of these drugs laced with fentanyl, which is the killer drug uh, that's out there on the street right now. How deadly is it, and how much do you have to consume? One microgram of fentanyl uh, is enough to kill an individual. Fentanyl is about a thousand times more powerful than morphine. And um, we had the drug overdose death in Madison a couple weeks ago, found some Oxycontin pills, looked like Oxycontin pills. They were, in fact, pure fentanyl. And we're now starting to see those show up. Uh, We've seen marijuana laced with fentanyl. We've seen cocaine laced with fentanyl. Heroin laced with fentanyl is one of the biggest issues that we're seeing. Now, fentanyl is not a new drug, but where is this coming from? It's coming from China. And it's coming from the Mexican cartels. And through an investigation uh, that was run jointly between DEA and MBN, uh, we identified the source of supply in in China that was manufacturing uh, and uh, merchandising this particular uh, fentanyl, which is basically a white powder. Let's talk about battling the problem. What are the solutions here? What can people do? What's the battle plan? Well, the battle plan is uh, what we laid out to the governor back in August uh, from the task force. Uh, there you know, are a number of com- components to that that include the fact that you know, we've got we to curb the prescribing so we can prevent more people from getting addicted. We've got to make sure the doctors and, and other prescribers are utilizing the PMP because that is a, a significant tool available to them on the front line to prevent people who may be on the verge of addiction from becoming addicted. You know, I think we've got to create a deterrent in our criminal statutes uh, that, that puts the fear of God in these drug dealers to, to steer them hopefully away from selling this. And we've got a very robust legislative agenda coming from DPS and MBN uh, this year uh, to address some of those concerns. And then thirdly, uh, the, the treatment side of the house and recovery. And, you know, the, these town halls are a part of that. And, uh, you know, we're looking at alternatives on ways that we can find money to open up more beds and find more availability for treatment for the people that need it. Because, you know, what we don't want to have happen is people that need the treatment, they don't have any place to go. And so we've just got to make sure we have that available for them. John, thank you so much. Appreciate it very much. The state ranks as fifth in the nation for opioid prescriptions per capita. Coming up, find out how organizers are working to give nearly 2,000 homeless Mississippians a place to call home. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. There are about 2,000 homeless people living in the state of Mississippi, according to an annual report by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. With the majority living in shelters, organizers are focused on moving them into permanent housing. MPB's Ashley Norwood reports. Stupot's Matt's House is an emergency homeless shelter for women and children in Jackson. 
It allows the homeless an initial 14-day limit. During that time, counselors are working to assist them in finding long-term housing and employment. After 14 days, the resident must prove they're searching for work and housing or they're asked to leave the shelter. Cambry Vincent is a native of Collins. She is a resident at Matt's house. Her fiancé is a resident at another homeless shelter in Jackson. We had an apartment um, that we left to come here for a job, and it just it didn't work out. Vincent requested a two-week extension at Matt's house, but if she doesn't find employment soon, she says she's afraid of what may happen to her family. Just recently, Stoophot launched a rapid rehousing program. Jackie Jones with Matt's House Shelter says grants from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development have assisted them in providing housing for three families this month. They can find a job. Once finding a job, they will then show proof of that and continue, find a place to stay, and then we are to inspect that place. We can issue to the landlord the deposit, first month's rent, and so on and so forth. Ledger Parker is with Mississippi United to End Homelessness. He says their goal is to provide the homeless housing first, then connect them with other resources to help them get back on their feet. For too long, we've had a conversation around homelessness that had all of these demands placed on people in shelters. And you know what? They said they would, they would rather stay in shelter or they would rather stay in homeless encampment. We're offering a different alternative that connects them to housing and then connects them to so much more through that. 465 Mississippians have been placed in stable housing through the organization in the last year. Ashley Norwood, MPB News. Coming up, hear from a health expert on the dangers of untreated and undiagnosed diabetes. That's after a Southern Remedy Health Minute. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Why is diet important in diabetes? It's important for people to treat their diabetes so they will keep their blood sugar at near or normal levels and prevent long-term problems that are associated with poor diabetes control, things like heart and kidney problems. Diet is important because it's part of diabetes treatment. Many people need to change what they eat and how much they eat to help control their diabetes. Changing your diet can also help treat obesity, high blood pressure, and high cholesterol, serious problems associated with diabetes. So how will you change your diet? A good place to start is a Southern Remedy Healthy Living booklet that's online at mpbonline.org. It will help you work with your doctor or nurse to make a food plan to change your diet. You may also be referred to a registered dietitian. When planning what to eat, people with diabetes need to think about carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Our bodies break down the food we eat into small components called carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Carbohydrates are actually sugars that our body uses for energy and raise a person's blood sugar. High-carbohydrate foods should be carefully controlled in folks with diabetes. These include bread, pasta, rice, certain vegetables and fruits, dairy foods, and anything with added sugar. People with diabetes have to understand the importance and meaning of calories, fiber, cholesterol, salt, and alcohol. For instance, having more than one drink for a woman or two drinks for a man a day can raise blood sugar levels. Also, drinks that have fruit juice or soda in them may also raise blood sugar. 
Most adults with diabetes need to lose weight. To help lose weight, try to exercise for 30 minutes a day, most days of the week. Some people with diabetes need to change their medicine dose before they exercise, so check with your health provider. Eating fewer calories is the secret to losing weight. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Health officials say about 30% of Mississippians are at risk for health problems that may affect their quality of life. 36% of adults are obese, 35% are overweight, and 13.6% of adults are diagnosed with diabetes. November is National Diabetes Month. Flanked by Halloween treats and Thanksgiving sweets, it's a unique time to bring attention to the chronic disease. Researchers say that managing diabetes as early as possible can help prevent diabetes-related health problems, including vision loss, heart disease, amputation, and stroke. Yet an estimated one in four Americans living with diabetes don't know they have the disease. Dr. Griffin Rogers is director of the National Institute of Diabetes and Kidney Diseases. He tells us if left untreated or undiagnosed or untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems. Overall, there are 30 million people in the United States with diabetes. And of course, if we observe National Diabetes Month, the bring attention to this fact. In Mississippi, while that 30 million represents about 9% of the U.S. population with diabetes, Mississippi, the numbers are higher. In fact, 13.6% of adults in Mississippi have uh, been diagnosed with diabetes, a little bit higher for men than women, 14% versus 13%. And of those numbers, there's really is an age gradient. So, for example, 19.4% of adults between the ages of 45 to 64 uh, have been diagnosed with diabetes. But if you look at people over 65 in Mississippi, that number jumps up to close to 1 in 3 or 33%. Is Mississippi so, worse in the nation? It is, unfortunately, in that respect in terms of diabetes. 13, uh, almost 14% compared to a national average of about 9%. Why is that? Well, there are several factors that increase one's risk of having diabetes and probably contributes to the relatively higher numbers in Mississippi. One is having a family history of diabetes uh, with uh, increases one's risk. And we know that historically there have been uh, high numbers of diabetes in Mississippi. Secondly, people being overweight or obese uh, increases one's risk of developing diabetes. And fortunately, Mississippi has, you know, been one of the states that has had a higher prevalence of that as well, overweight and obesity. Uh, being from certain racial and ethnic groups, African Americans, uh, Hispanics, Native Americans, Asian Americans, for example, have a higher than expected uh, risk of diabetes. And then an uh, aging population, being over 45 uh, years of age, increases one's risk. And then one final point is that if you're a woman 
were diagnosed with diabetes during pregnancy, while in most instances after delivery that diabetes goes away, uh, you're still at a higher risk of developing diabetes sometimes within the next 10 years or so. Can you explain the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? Type 1 diabetes, what uh, has been previously referred to as juvenile diabetes, occurs in individuals, usually, you know, infants or young adults, adolescents, for example, who have a genetic susceptibility to, uh, for one reason or the other, their body triggers an autoimmune response. And in this autoimmune response, it damages the cells in the pancreas that produce insulin. And over time, one loses that insulin to a point in which one develops clinical diabetes and requires insulin for survival. Now, in type 2 diabetes, that usually occurs in people who are adults. Uh, it's usually associated with those racial and ethnic groups that I mentioned, uh, older uh, individuals. But it occurs in an instance in which at least the body is making more insulin early on. It's just not being utilized properly. A state of insulin resistance occurs. And so while you may not need insulin therapy initially, uh, other oral agents, but over time, uh, patients may in fact require uh, insulin therapy. And this is really the bulk of that 30 million. 95% of the people with diabetes in this country uh, have type 2 diabetes. Can you estimate how many people go undiagnosed who have type 2 diabetes? Yeah, it is estimated that between one in four people with diabetes don't even know that they have the disease. One in four, 25%. And so if left undiagnosed or untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems like heart disease and stroke and blindness and kidney disease and even death. And so obviously with early diagnosis and treatment, people with diabetes may prevent the development of these serious health complications. And that's why it's so important, and we use the month of November to raise awareness about the seriousness of this disease, but also let people know that there's something that you can do about it. What are some of the symptoms to watch for? Well, some of the symptoms of diabetes are fairly uh, nonspecific, and therefore they're often ignored or dismissed. Some of the symptoms include being very thirsty, urinating often, having blurred vision, uh, losing weight without trying. And again, as I said, these can be rationalized to be something else or dismissed, but certainly they're important symptoms, and especially if you're in that high, those high-risk uh, individuals that we talked about, that should alert you to go in to your health provider to uh, be checked to determine whether you have it. What is the All of Us Research Program? The All of Us uh, Research Program is, is an effort that's ongoing at the NIH. And the, and the goal there is to really incorporate uh, individuals from all around America. And the goal is to really seek to extend uh, this concept of precision medicine. So the idea is to follow people, to understand what is it about them and their genetics and their environment that puts them at a risk for developing certain diseases. Dr. Griffin P. Rogers is the director of the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases. Dr. Rogers, thank you so much for being with us. And thanks so much for sharing this information with your listeners. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. 
Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? You can find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio.